Why don't we stand for the reading of scriptures? We're in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 9 through 20. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 9 through 20. Right, here we go. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king has sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few with me, and told no, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley gate and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us arise and build. So they strengthened their hands. For the good work, but when Sambalat the uh, Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Gershon, I mean uh, Geshem, the Arab heard it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, "What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king?" Then I replied to them, "The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right." Or claim in Jerusalem. You may be seated. Maybe seated. Um, a few uh, last Sunday. I was about to say a few weeks ago, but last Sunday uh, we went on a prayer walk. How many of you were with us on that prayer walk? On that prayer walk around the neighborhood. Um, and um, it, it's interesting that as we were on that prayer walk, um, and, and and what God did in in many people's lives and in many people's uh, philosophy of ministry. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting talking to people after the prayer walk and how much impact it had on their lives. One of the main things that I keep hearing from people is I didn't know. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by people saying, man, I, I, you know, some people that commute in, I know a lot of us walk here. I walk to the building from my house and I know many of us do probably 50% of people that come on Sundays walk here. But it's interesting for those who, who haven't walked here or, or who don't walk here and the people who walk here who just say, I just didn't really pay attention to anything. 
and, and, and how enlightening it was for them and their development. And, and really, they, 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 were, they, they were saying or communicating what we're going to talk about today. Say awareness. Uh, all right, all right. Awareness is a very, very important, important term. Um, it is a very important term for those who are going to join God in building his kingdom. Again, God builds his kingdom, and we join him in building his kingdom. And we're going to talk today about um, uh, the awareness that it takes to do what God has called us to do. Um, 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 of course, we have started our series on uh, Rebuilt to Build. And as we're working through that, we're talking about the fact that God has called the people of God of all times to serve him and reflect his glory. However, before we can effectively do that on the level that God wants us to do, we have to be internally rebuilt before we externally rebuild or internally try to rebuild anything. Are y'all tracking with me? And so it's extremely important that that's a part of our framework. But it's, but, but it's interesting that, that as you move forward with that vision, which we're going to talk about a little bit more later, of God, what happens to your plans when you develop awareness? Because anybody that has a passion or a particular dream to do something, uh, that, 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 that dream is your vision, but then you develop plans, hopefully, or goals and objectives that, that it takes to get to that particular goal of that particular dream. But what begins to happen is, is as you begin to get in the grimy and grit of the process, you, you, you realize that the, that the vision of what happened is not going to change, but awareness uh, uh, impacts how you plan. And so, and so today, we're not going to talk about our personal dreams, because many preachers today help, try, are trying to help people to get to their personal dreams. And I, I don't want to help you do that. I, I don't ever want to help you to fulfill your heart's desire. I don't ever want to do that. I know what I want to do? I want to help you get married to God's desires. And then what happens is you begin dreaming what he wants to happen because you're married to him. Now, I help you get to that dream. I want to preach you into the dreams of God in your life. But it's always based on his way of thinking and his way of doing things, and therefore it's going to take some repentance and some development. I got real quiet when I say repentance. Um, but, 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 it, but it takes a lot of that. And so in this passage, we got a, a lot of work to do this morning. And so, and so, and so we, we're, going to, we're going to get into it. So number one, um, of, of course, I didn't even get a title. Um, so today we're going to talk about rebuilt through awareness. We rebuilt through awareness. So number one. Um, well, we're going to cover verses 9 through 10. Awareness helps us not to idolize moments where God has met us. Let me say that again. Awareness helps us not to idolize moments where God has met us. Look at verse 9 and 10. He says, Then I came to the governor of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king has sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. So now he's to this point now. He's talked to Artaxerxes verses 1 through 8. And he's gotten, he's gotten a, a, a approval to be off for a minimum of a year. He got, a, he got a year of a leave of absence even though he was still working in some way in concert with, um, with Artaxerxes in the Persian Empire. But then he went from there and he prepared for opposition. And as he prepared for opposition, like we talked about last time, he also prepared the provision. And so now we get to this part of the passage, and it's crazy, because now he's on ground. 
So we've gone through him weeping over the state of the city and God's people. We, we went through um, his prayer and we went through his faith and his passion um, to see what God wanted to do get done. But now he's actually on ground. And, and, so, and, so, and so what happens is, is right here in verse 10, it says, but when Sambalad the Hor- Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, they, uh, it displeased them greatly. I like that. You, you know why I like that? Because it woke Nehemiah up. See, 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 many times when God calls us to do something, we have an unrealistic idealism of what it's going to look like to walk into what God wants us to do. And so what, what we have to do is we have to begin to allow, once we get on ground, we can develop plans. we in tears and we blessing God and worship and sensing his presence and all of that. And that's wonderful. But one day you're going to have to hit the ground. It was just like when Jesus had his um, disciples um, on the Mount of Transfiguration. <laughs> and, and, and he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And, they, you know, Peter got real happy and was like, yo, man, God just spoke to us audibly. This is bananas. You know what I'm saying? Let's build some altars here. Let's just get it, get it going. And, 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 you know, it, it just, and Jesus was shining real brightly. Then right after that, it says, and they came down off the mountain. And demons was at the bottom of the mountain. In other words, in other words whenever God calls us to do anything, when we come off the mountain of our experience with him, what we have to do is now utilize that experience to face the reality of what he's called us to face. And so now Nehemiah is going to begin the process of, of, of working on building the wall of Jerusalem. But what's interesting in this passage and what's beautiful in this passage, what I, what I like is God gives him the grace to, to know that there's going to be opposition all the way through the process. Uh, um, th- this opposition is going to play a key role in the development of showing the hand of God. Without opposition, you will not know that God's hand is on you. Um, be, and we'll, we'll talk about it in, in, in a little bit of a second. But, but now he's in here, and now he knows who the opposition actually is. And in light of him knowing that, the, these guys, Sembalat is interesting. He was a Samaritan governor who really was over that entire region. He was over Samaria. He was over Judah. He was over Jerusalem. You know what I'm saying? And so here come your man, Nehemiah, coming up with letters from the governor. Remember, remember what we said when they sent envelopes back then, they didn't lick envelopes. Um, somebody uh, poured, uh, they, the, the, the king had uh, uh, wax melted and it dripped on it. He used his signet, put his signet on it. And so as they began going through these provinces and going through here, he started handing mad letters out. You know what I'm saying? They didn't have email. We can mass email it out or text everybody saying they're coming. You know what I'm saying? Or tweet it or Facebook it. Their Facebook was letters, right? Nice-looking letters, too, real thick. They had that thick paper back then, you know what I'm saying? And so he handed it to Cass as he's coming through, you know, to make sure that they, that they didn't make, the, make, make, make way. But it's interesting that he had an army with him. So Cass was like, you know what I'm saying? Because they like, he got an army and he got letters. So they're like, main man got mad support, you know? And so they frustrated because now it's infringing upon his ability. And we're going to come to this in a second. It's going to fringe upon his ability because he didn't want to do anything with his authority. See, Sam Ballot didn't want to do anything, but now that Nehemiah coming to do some work, now he, he, now he, oh, now you awake now. But you wasn't concerned at first. And so, and so, and so now what God is doing is, is, is many times when God is sending you to where he's, he, he wants you to be, there will be people that have been lazy with their time where they have been. I wish I had some help, but I know I'm in the first gathering, but... But, 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 but what happens is, is when you get there and God, and you're, you're not trying to bother nobody, you ain't trying to hurt nobody's feelings, all you know is God's called you. 
And, and, you're go, and you're going into that place, and you're going, and then all of a sudden, everybody started rising up. Like, I'm like, what happened? I mean, let's get, no, nah, we, and they were displeased with that thing. Very, very displeased with the fact that he, and listen to what they were displeased about. Look at what the verse says. It says, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. See, it, it wasn't, listen, 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 it wasn't that he was, you know, Nehemiah trying to come in and floss and do his thing. They didn't like that he was actually looking out for people. Because when you looked out for people as a governor, that means that you got less loot. And so sometimes you mess up the economic system and the ecos of mess when you are actually concerned about what God is concerned about. When you're concerned about what God is concerned about, it's going to ruffle up some stuff. But the issue is you got to be aware of that reality when you get up in the mix now. You, you gotta, now, 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 Sam Ballard was, was actually um, b- uh, believed to be actually Jewish, part Jewish. So, so this, this, uh, this, this didn't come from somebody that wasn't part of the people of God. This is part of one of the people of God. Uh-oh, let's keep moving. Tobiah the Amorite, now we Ammonite, now you know he's a Gentile, so he is who he is, you know what I'm saying? But he is a leader among the people <coughs> also, but he's probably a servant a Gentile servant of Tobiah that was appointed by the king in this particular uh, 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 province. And so in, 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 in them hearing this and being greatly displeased, this word displeased means a feeling or attitude of great anxiety or distress. So they were displeased because the king changed his legislation from chapter 4 concerning the development of Jerusalem. It, uh, it, so it is more probable, however, that Nehemiah traveled through all of these places and began telling all of these cats um, what was going on. And so he's seeking the welfare of the people of God. And it's interesting that that word, their welfare, is not the word that I thought it was in, based on Jeremiah 29, 3 through 7. It, it's actually just a word that means d- t- t- just the betterment of someone. I thought it was peace, which means shalom, which means comprehensive wholeness. But here this word means to just put people in just a base, in basic better conditions. And we'll talk about that in a little bit in, in a minute. Second point, second point, um, verses 11 through, it's going to be 11 through 16. Awareness helps you to use discretion. Awareness helps you to use discretion. Look at, look at verse 11. It says, so I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. So, the, so they rested. He, now, you got to understand, they traveled for four months, Okay. Probably on and off, you know, resting and all of that. Then it says, then I arose in the night after three days, basically. He got him some rest for the first three days, chilling out, meeting folk and everything. He says, and I, he says, and, I and a few men with me. And then listen what he said. He said, I told no one what my God put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. It's interesting. It's interesting. You have to be careful who you share God's vision with. In the incubation stages, wish I had some help right now. It, it, see, see, some of y'all get so happy and you start running your mouth. But some people, you can't tell what God wants to do. They just got to find it out by seeing what God wanted to do. Be, 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 and, so, and so Nehemiah used the word called discretion. Say discretion. This, this is very, very important uh, 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 um, because sometimes people, when they hear about what God has placed into your heart, they will either try to hijack it or sabotage it. And, but, uh, and, uh, and, so, and so discretion in Proverbs, based on Proverbs 2.11, it says this. You don't have to turn there. It says discretion will watch over you. Understanding 
will guard you. Now, the word discretion is the ability to know the best course of action for achieving one's goal. It is knowledge and understanding with purpose. Uh, so, so, so this kind of knowledge enables one to make the right choices that will protect him from blunders, him or her from blunders and their consequences. Proverbs 5.2 says, it says, it says that you may keep discretion and your lips keep knowledge. And so, so, so you got to have some type of discretion. Now, what's interesting is, is, is that we see this in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we point and connect everything to Jesus Christ here. And so, and so, so in Matthew uh, chapter 16, um, verse, verse 13 through 20, it's interesting. Um, Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And, and, and they, they said, they, some dudes say you this, some dudes say you Elijah, some say you, and, and he, he said, who do you say that I am? He said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father was in heaven. The Holy Spirit has revealed this to you. And then he says, upon, he says you are Peter, uh, but upon this rock I shall build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, the last thing that Jesus says in that section is interesting. You would think that Jesus would want them to now go out and reign on the high tops and on the mountaintops about the fact that the Messiah has come and that the Christ has come. But Jesus, who was keen on timing and keen on discretion and the best at it of all times, says this. He says, then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Why? Because it wasn't the time. It, it is a biblical principle that even Jesus uses in his incarnation of knowing, uh, knowing when and who to tell what and why. You, you got, and that, that shows how grown up you are. See, kids blurt things real fast. You know, my, my oldest son, you know, <clears throat> we'll, we'll be out somewhere and he'll just say something about the house. It's his son. I'll be like, son, you can't just you talk to us and us about this. Like, you can't just placow it out there because people are misunderstand things. He's like, he's like, okay. In other words, a, a child tends to have, have, have extremely loose lips. And so you know your, your spiritual maturity level based on your ability to know who and when to talk to about what and when and where. And, 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 so, and, so, and so Nehemiah employed that because Jesus, of course, had the vision to save the world, he had the plan and the strategy was to die, but he was aware that the cross would offend at this time in a way he wasn't ready for it to offend. That sharing the plan too early would present unnecessary challenges to the process. So it is interesting that Nehemiah understands um, the entirety of what happened in chapter 1 was a work of God. That's very, very important that we understand, that he understand that because he said what God had put in his heart to do. See, no matter where you are in the process of your development, even in using the discretion, one of the things you always want to recognize when God gets his hand on you and he's working, that ultimately it was a work of God that did that particular thing. So let's get some practical things um, about this in relation to vision and mission and in relation to planning and awareness. Y'all still tracking with me? All right, so he sees mission, he sees his mission as a God-inspired work. Again, he says, for God put it into my heart. Now, vision, of course, we get our definition of vision from uh, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. 
It said, remember we talked about that. People without vision are unrestrained. Revision is not some dis, dis, uh, it, it, disconnected vision from the heart and mind of God. Vision is always birthed from the word of God. That word there for vision there means uh, a revelation based on what God has already said, not a revelation based on a personal dream. And so when we talk about this idea of vision, um, one of the first books we took the leaders through here is a book called Visioneering. And one of the things, that, and it's by Andy Stanley, he said something in the book about Visioneering, which is very, very important, about what awareness and discretion, why discretion is so important. He says, Visioneering is the course one follows to make dreams a reality. It is the process whereby ideas and convictions take on substance. So he says, inspiration plus conviction plus action plus determination plus completion equals visioneering. So that therefore, what God orchestrates or originates, he orchestrates. And, 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 and then he says, walk before you talk. And so as we, as we look at this, this awareness is very, very important because many of us overpromise and underdeliver. So, so, so that means we have to get in to the phase of our lives as we are walking with the Lord and building his kingdom where we're using this type of description in the preparatory processes of him using us. Uh, point number three, awareness helps you to face reality. Again, verses 13 through 16. Verses 13 through 16. He said, I inspected. Say, I inspected. Now, this word inspected is interesting because, because this, is, this is very important because vision and plans untested in real life can lead to delusion. Okay? V vision and plans untested in real life can lead to delusion. I'll explain that. He said, I inspected the walls. Now, you got to recognize he heard about the walls, he prayed about the condition of the people, but he wasn't yet there. So what he actually did was he didn't go out all like, you know, like I see developers around here, you know, walking around with business casual and, you know, writing down addresses and everything. See, he ain't do that. He ain't go all out in front of people. N Nehemiah went at night and he was on a donkey, made the other dudes walk. That's, that was kind of grimy to me because he said he only took one. That was grimy. Um, then they tried to get him through the little gate. He said, we're going to have to tie you here, money. And so he parked his car there and went through the gate and started going around looking at the junk, looking at the gate and see, look, looking at the gate. And he looked at the wall. He inspected. Because even though you have a vision and God is with you, you got to know what you're dealing with. You always got to know what you're dealing with. You always have to know exactly what you're dealing with. Because if some people say, well, I'm called and the power of God is going to be upon me. And they start just going off. And it's like, okay, okay, we hear all that. But um, what you're saying is not going to work. The vision of that is cool. But now we got to get in here and begin looking at what the state of things are actually like. And so that's very important what Nehemiah did in this particular section. Because inspect here means to examine and look to a use perception or sight to look at an object by implication to learn information and make decisions about the item that we observe. You know, it's interesting um, that as we were planting this church five years ago, um, the plans of how it got planted are totally different than we, we definitely suspected. Um, when, when we came apart, when we came to do the ministry here uh, in North Philly, we, we, we had a vision of what God wanted to happen here because we believe God gave us a vision for that. 
but, 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 but what we did, and we developed plans tentative to that particular vision. But one of the things that we thought is, I thought we were going to be renting a place up on Broad and Susquehanna, right up above, you know, the shop where we was going to be smelling Chinese food and everything all during the services. You know what I'm saying? I, that's, that was my, I, you know, I was like, we're probably going to be up in that joint. You know what I'm saying? We're going to be up in there. We'll be able to do some ministry up out of there. And we were all, we were walking through and visioning. I can show you pictures of all kinds of stuff. I thought we were going to be meeting in a school or something. I, but, but, but when God plans your journey, and when, and, when, and, when, and when it's his vision that you're following, he's always going to say because he knew what he had called us to do. And so what he ended up doing a year and a half in is giving us this building. Now, we didn't plan to buy no. That is suicide. First off, we're in the inner city. That's number one. So ain't nobody got money. Nobody. College students or people in the neighborhood. Ain't nobody. Who got money? You ain't got no money. All right. So ain't nobody got no money. So we was like, God, first off, we don't, we're not even trying to plan for that because Ain't nobody got nothing. So we, we plan it for you. I mean, you, you know how we say, God, you can do anything, really saying you're not going to do anything, right? Um, but we were here. We planning to do ministry, but God expanded our plan base. And so whenever you get on ground, God always expands your plan base because, because what he, he wants to do what he wants to do through us more than we want to be used by him to do what he's called us to do because he's the initiator of it. See, you can never act like you want something more than God. Don't you, don't you ever act like some of us, that's why most people get bitter and disappointed with God. Because they get bitter with God because they think God isn't moving like they want him to move. And then what happens is because you have this red on plan of what it looks like to do what God said he was going to do because you want it done based on your vision, really not his vision. Um, and then what begins to happen, you develop a bitterness because you're impatient with his timing. But what's beautiful about God is he doesn't care about our brattiness. He overrides our brattiness and breaks us to his will. And so as he's inspecting the walls, he's seeing that all of the walls are not necessarily down. So he can repair some of the pieces because he thought he was going to have to rebuild an entire wall. But he realized, man, the gates can be repaired. So we don't have to rebuild gates. Because the way they told it, you know, when people, people always tell you the worst story. That's, it's, it's real bad in Jerusalem. And all, the wall, all of the walls weren't down. How could he expect walls if, they, if all of the walls were down, right? So he came and realized, oh, this is less work than I thought it was going to be. But this is still an issue. And so you got to recognize that you have to have awareness of what's going on and not just hear hearsay in executing that particular vision. So that's why you can't... Um, confuse vision with plans. Now, let me tell you why. <clears throat> because what will happen many times, God will give you a vision for something in particular, and you will begin executing the plans of that vision. And when God doesn't do the plans your way, you think that the vision is not going to happen. But it's not vision that God has an issue with sometimes. Many times it's our planning. And so what he's wanting to do when that happens is edit our plans or edit our timing to still get to the vision that he wants us uh, to, to, to get to. And so that's why he said over in verse, he said over in verse 16, he says, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. And so he, 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 talk, he didn't talk to the officials who were the representatives of Persia, the Jews, who were the citizens of that particular area, the priests, who would play a major role in the life of Jerusalem community and life 
of those in exile. And the nobles refers, of course, probably to the elders or the heads of households who would lead. He didn't tell them because even the people that he was going to minister to, he didn't tell them yet what God wanted to do. And that's very, very important in this process, which we'll see when we come to our next point, which is our, uh, our next point is awareness helps us. Listen to this. I, I really want you to get this one. Awareness helps us to unify with those who aid God's mission and draw a line with those who oppose it. Let me, let me say that again, because some, some of us need to hear that like nine different more times. Awareness helps us to unify with those who want to aid in God's work or mission and draw the line with, uh, uh, with those who oppose it. Now listen to what he says in verse 17. He says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we, say we. We are, and I like that. That's very, very important. Because he didn't say, I, look, at, look at y'all mess. Look at this mess. Look at this neighborhood. My goodness, look at all the trash on the ground. Look at y'all neighborhood. Look at how you teach your children. Look at y'all and you. He said, look at the trouble we're in. It got real quiet in here. You, you know, because he included himself as a part of the people that God was going to use him to help. That's very, very, very important. So Nehemiah didn't separate himself from the circumstances of here, the people of God, what they were in. But he entered into their issues and included his lot with them. So Nehemiah willingly placed himself in the circumstances of the people that God had called him to minister to and ultimately to minister with. Now, as, as we look at this idea, we see him saying, we there. Um, you see um, him later saying, let us build. He didn't say, let me build for you. Let us build. Look at it. He says, in the, right after that, he says that we may no longer suffer derision. So, so there's a sense in which he takes mutual ownership of this. Now the, now, the person we see this most beautifully in his life is Jesus Christ. Now, um, um, Jesus Christ did this better than anyone of all times. And, 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 and what, he call, what we call that ministry, and I'm going to explain this because I want to spend a, a good bit of time on this, is, is this ministry that Jesus did was called incarnational ministry. Say incarnational ministry. Now, now this is very, 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 very important. Uh, um, this is a very, very important thing. L listen to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 through 18. He says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So the, so the same way in which Nehemiah was in a very, very high place at the right hand of his king. I wish I had some help right now. And, 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 and he was serving his king. Jesus Christ was eternally at the right hand of God the Father. It's real quiet. I'm talking about Jesus right now. And he came down to the circumstance of us. Said he had to be made like us in every respect, particularly um, the Jewish people. Now, what is incarnational ministry? By incarnational ministry, um, omission, I mean the understanding and practice of Christian witness that is rooted in, shaped by, the life, ministry, suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Incarnational ministry, I mean the understanding and practice of Christian witness 
that is rooted in and shaped by the life, ministry, suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, um, um, It's interesting that Jesus Christ entered their circumstances in three particular ways. The first first way he he entered in in what he was doing in this incarnational mission, just like we're talking about what Nehemiah did, is number one thing he did is he had contextual connectivity. Say contextual connectivity. Y'all look like y'all, am I losing y'all right now? I just want to make sure, contextual connectivity, we're going to talk about it. It says he was made like his brothers. Now, now, now it means not just authentically human, because Jesus Christ was 100% human, but authentically, culturally connected to the Jews and the Jewish nation. In other words, he connected himself to that particular people group. Um, Then he had spiritual connectivity. Say spiritual connectivity. Merciful and faithful high priest in his service to God. I like that. He had spiritual connection to God. So he didn't go out trying to minister to folk without a spiritual connection to God. And I'm talking about his humanity. We know he has it in his deity, but he also lived it out in his humanity. He's not just culturally connected and relevant, because many people want to run around and be relevant, but having spiritual vitality and a consistent lifestyle of spiritual formation. That's what that says. But then number three, he had empathetic connectivity. Can you say that empathetic? Connectivity. Are y'all still tracking with me? I'm going to push y'all. He suffered when tempted. I like that part. Then it says able to help. That's good right there. Their issues must become your issues. Jesus let his issues become our issues, his issues. But what's interesting about Jesus is Jesus didn't sin with our issues. Oh, man, this is good to me. Um, Anyway, this comes through vicinity because he experienced the roughness of life. Although without sin, he could show redemption but speak with authentic experience. See, 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 when, when, when God calls us into circumstance, when God calls us, that's why we're passionate about seeing the gospel come to Philadelphia. That's why we're passionate about actually seeing our community transformation ain't about just having a bunch of programs so that ABC and Fox can come through with some cameras. We want to see the transformational power of the gospel actually change some stuff. And that means that we have to stop talking about those people and them and make this our city and come into it and own the issues in this city. Just like Nehemiah did. Nehemiah owned the issues. He didn't point at the issues. He put himself in the midst of the issues. And so it's easy for us to whiz through here for a season or even, and I know some of us are here for a season, so I don't want to beat you. I'm not trying to beat you up about that. But those of us who God has put us here, we can't continue to ignore. Because even if you leave here, you're going to have to go somewhere and deal with somebody's issues. You got to deal with yours, but you also got to deal with other people. And you were put here to help and develop others, not to look down on them. And it's interesting that Nehemiah didn't look down on the people of God. He went and rolled up his sleeves and helped. You can sit around and talk about how much you hate the church, how much you don't like the church and all that. But what's interesting is he became a part of the people of God. You need to become a part of the people of God. (laughs) And and, and that means you got to begin to commit yourself to God, but then also committing to God through Christ. You can say God, but to God through Jesus Christ. But then number two, you have to commit yourself to the people of God and to the mission of God where he has sent you. You're here in Philly for a reason. You're here for a reason. And you can go around and you can play and call it Philadelphia and wear a t-shirt, but what are you going to do? What you going to do? 
Jesus has appointed us for such a time as this. He's appointed the people of God for such a time as this. That's why I like the next part. He says, let us build. I like that. He didn't go in there, and that's where we're going to have to transition in our mission. We have to stop coming to build for people and transition to building with people. Did y'all get that? Now, 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 this goes back to the beginning. That, that let us statement is, is a familiar statement. It is a Trinitarian statement. When you go back to the beginning, God said, let us make man in our likeness and our image. And I know the Old Testament professors say that that's not the Trinity. It's a, yes, it is. Yes, it is. You're just bad theologian. You're good at, you're good at Hebrew exegesis, but you're bad at theology. Um, yes, it was the Godhead. God talks to himself and answers himself, and he's not crazy. He said, let us make man in our, in, in our likeness and our image. I like that because that's God unifying within himself to do what he's called himself to do. Oh, man, that's profound to me. I, I don't know about y'all. That's profound to me. But, but what's beautiful about that is that's not the only place we see it. We see it all throughout Genesis. It was the, but we see it as a, a, a good statement and a bad statement. Because the, Nimrod and his folks said, let us build. But what they wanted to do is they wanted to have unity without God. And whenever people, listen, try to get unity without God, calling it social justice and mercy, God will come in and break it up. And that's what he did. God said, let us go down. He said, now he had to let us too. They said, let us build. He said, let us go down. And no matter where you are in your life, Whenever God comes, he always has to come down from where he is. I wish I had some help. But he don't never go up to nobody. He always comes down to him because God is always above everything. Wish I had some help in the first gathering. And so what's interesting, he says, he said, he said, he says, let us go down and we're gonna break them cats up. It's beautiful that God, in this Trinitarian statement, is calling us even here, just like them. Let us build. The question is. How many of us is it? Who's us here? Us. God has called us, not a few, to build. This is very, very important. God has called us to build. And I'm praying that, 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 that when people tell me, man, I like what y'all are doing at Epiphany Fellowship, and you've been going here for a year. I struggle with that. You've been going for, I like what y'all are doing. Nah, where's us? It's us. We. That means that there has to be community ownership of the call of God on your life and on the life of God's people. Can't be a you and us philosophy. And then this is what I like about it. He says next, he says, listen to what he does. And listen, this is so Christ-centered. Look at the last part of verse 17. He says that we may no longer suffer derision because he entered into their situation and recognized and, and, and included himself in on their suffering. Now, this is interesting. Derision means reviling and taunt and disgrace. I like the fact that the Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus Christ despised the shame. In other words, he faced the shame of the world towards how they felt about the cross, but he knew that him entering into the suffering on the cross was going to bring salvation to those who believe. And I know that here, reflecting and pointing to that reality, that he knew that including himself on the reality of the suffering of the people of God was going to bring about the continuous building of the kingdom of God. I'm by myself. Then he said, I told them. He said, I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me. That's good right there. That's good right there. See, sometimes you only, see, vision is not necessarily encouraging people on what it's going to look like for something to happen. 
Because a lot of people have vision. But there's a difference when God's hand is on you. See, see, see God's hand is on you. And let me explain that because I know y'all, we got a lot of new Christians and non-Christians here. Let's explain hand of God. Can I do that for one second? Hand of God is the act of, God, of the God of heaven by which he initiates the execution of his visionary activity among his people. Let me say that again. I love that. I ought to jump over this clear podium right here. Um, he says, he's, is, 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 is the act of the God of heaven by which he initiates, say he initiates, the execution of his visionary activity among his people, whereby he removes every obstacle, sustains us through obstacles, or uses or even appoints obstacles by which he sustains his people and glorify his name through bringing forth his desired ends despite the obstacles. <laughs> oh, man. The hand of God can be good towards people and against them. <laughs> Sometimes he is the obstacle. So he spoke of the hand of God before he spoke about his vision. I like that. Jesus uses this language when he talks about himself in Isaiah 61 that when he read it in, in, uh, in, in um, Galilee, he says, he says, for the spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's hand of God language. He said, it's upon me to preach the gospel and to give sight to the blind. All of those things are what Jesus, so he said, let us arise and build. And he says, after they heard that God was with them, he says, so they strengthened their hands. That literally means they encouraged themselves. They got encouraged because they didn't know that God was concerned about their condition. But when somebody said God was because look at what he's causing to happen, they, they said, all right, we can, we can do something now. Sometimes people are ready to work. They just need to know that God is with you. See, the question is the neighborhood and the neighborhood in the city, they, they, they just want to know. They say, oh, we done seen it all. People coming through doing census on this and all this stuff. Is God with y'all though? And so, so many times we got, they want to see the hand of God before they'd be concerned about the heart of God. But when you're saved, you're concerned about the heart of God, which leads you in the hand of God. Somebody's going to get that on the way home. But then, oh, oh, here it is. Here, here's the net. They're all happy and everything. Oh, man, everything going good. That, oh, man, everybody happy? Yeah, praise the Lord. They probably started singing hymns at this point. Worshiping hands lifted, eyes go, hey, God, oh, God, we bless your God. Hey, they're doing all that. Then all of a sudden, read the Bible. They read the Bible. Look what happened. He says, but, there it is. Whenever you're in the midst of your greatest season of happiness, there's always a but coming. You're either in, coming out of, or going into a but. Oh, my goodness. But, but he says, but he says, he says, but when Sam Ballot, the, Hor uh, the Horonite and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, and Gershom, the Arab. Now, they done added another dude. They done got them some help. They said, we're going to have to get them. They their things looking too good for them. They jeered at us. The word jeered means to mock or ridicule. He said, and he despises us. That means to think uh, contemptuously towards or to ridicule something, uh, to, to, to exert energy to try to destroy something. He says, what is the thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Oh, this is good. They ask two questions. Now, really what they're trying to do. See, when people can't mess with your legal right, they go after your character and your heart. Oh, y'all quiet. See, what happened? I'm going to preach it till it's over. Listen, 
Listen, they, 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 mess, they mess with their character, and they try to make them scared. See, ain't that interesting? Ain't, ain't that interesting? He, he, said, he said, what is this thing you're doing? Now, you got to understand, when, when the Bible in narrative literature uses repetitive idiomatic expressions, it pulls on the context of all of those usage. Are you with me? So what he's saying, what is this thing that you're doing? Uh, now, let's go back to the original time that was said. Soon as Adam sinned, what did God say? What is this thing that you have done? Goes back to that. Why? Because, because this is a statement of character issue. All the way throughout the Bible. I mean, God asked Adam that in Genesis 3.13. Pharaoh asked Abraham that when he lied to him in Genesis 12.18. Um, Abimelech asked Ab- told Abraham this when in t- Genesis 26 10 it's in the Bible baby that when he lied Laban lied to Jacob and Leah and guess what he said what is this thing you've done and the Lord rebukes the idolatry of Israel and judges 2 2 by saying what is this thing that you have done so what they're saying to them is see Sambalat knew religious language so basically he's trying to come against the character of the people of God <laughs> And in the life of Jesus, we see it all over the place. When people came against Jesus' character because of what God had called him to do. See, when they can't, see, they knew they couldn't, they couldn't get him on a legal issue because he had letters and an army. So they weren't, they're like, we gon' no, nah, we can't do it now. We would have jumped him, but nah. Right? But then, but then you see that they come against the character of it. Why he's actually doing it, saying he's rebelling against the king. But Jesus was a, a, Jesus was said to have been casting out demons by the spirit of Beelzebub when he healed on the Sabbath. But, but, but what's interesting, what's interesting here in the text is that he doesn't pull out the letter again. He doesn't pull out the letter again. He, he doesn't begin arguing with them. Look what he says. He says in verse 20, the God of heaven. Stop right there. See, that's good. All the way through the book, you're going to see the God of heaven. That, that, that's his announcement of the sovereignty of God over everything. So, so, so you're coming at my heart, and you're coming, you're trying to make us scared, but he said the God of heaven. See, sometimes you need to just, when somebody come against you, 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 just, you should just say the God of heaven. I wish I had some help. Listen, and listen, he, he started off with just saying the God. He ain't going to, well, the legislation laws of the Persian Empire, and he didn't go into all of that. Well, you know, if we can go down and do a, you know, uh, occupy Wall Street, you know, he didn't say none of that. He said, he said the God of heaven. Some of y'all missed the Wall Street thing, but anyway, anyway, <laughs> uh-uh, but, but he said the God of heaven. Sometimes, don't answer a fool according to his folly. That's what the Bible says. Listen, he said, he said, the God of heaven, listen what he said, the God of heaven will make us prosper. I like that. He said, God's going to make it happen. He said, so, he said we, so we're going to rise and rebuild. <laughs> when Jesus answered people, he answered them the same way. He said, he will make us prosper. That word means to thrive. He said, God's going to make us th- thrive. We're going to stop surviving. We're about to thrive. He was in the south. He said, we finna thrive. That's what he just said. Right, Because thriving reflects what it looks like in a particular season of life to honor and glorify God. There is always going to be, it's always going to be from God's perspective. This is why you cannot compare how God is thriving in someone else's life to yours. But what what you're going to have to know is guess what we got in here? In under the sound of my voice, there are opposers in here. 
quiet. It got real quiet. I'm glad it got quiet on that platform. I want you to listen. The people of God always had people that were sown into the mix of them who were not walking with God and are sown in by the enemy to stop God's mission all the time. Paul, when he left Ephesus, he says, it will arise from among you. Those who will. Even Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2 says it. Even from among you. Listen, you need to choose the day whose side you on. I ain't talking about a pastor. I'm talking about is it Jesus' side or the enemy's side? Are you here for your own motives and for your own receptivity? If you're here for yourself, even if it's just to be edified, you are opposed to the mission of God. Because God doesn't send anyone anywhere just to be edified. God sent you here to be edified and to edify. And so I'm challenging y'all hard, and I know y'all feel like, God dang it, Pastor. But you know what? Our, our generation, the under 45 generation, we're the most non-committing, getting something from somebody, entitlement. Jo- Listen, I'm sick of it. And we're we, we not going to tolerate receptivity without responsibility. We're not going re- to tolerate it no more. Some people, some people are overt opposers, and then they're covert opposers. But listen, listen what Nehemiah had to know. Nehemiah, you know what? And know what I've learned? I'm getting older now. You know what I've learned? It's a gift when God shows you who opposes his mission. To give, because see the people, people see the people, you know, people that don't oppose, and you know they they kind of act like everything's all right. See, I'm scared of them. See, but I like it when you just straight up. I don't like it. I'm like, praise God, good. You don't like it, praise God. All right, what you, are you going? What you going to do? No, all right, grace and peace. But we're going to build God's kingdom. That's what we're here to do, and that and we're joining Him in His work. And I love this reality. He tells them later, he, and, and no, he, he was very clear and direct with them. You, whenever someone opposes the mission of God, you got to be very clear and direct. He said, you have no portion with the people of God. See, see, you need to, you need, some, some, some folk need to be told. In your life, as God is moving you with God's people, that they are acting funky. I like Nehemiah. And guess who else I like? Jesus. Because you know what? Jesus was blunt. Very, very clear. And he, he was very confrontational. So confrontational that he confronted us on the cross with our sin through dying. Jesus bleeding on the cross was the ultimate form of confrontation. Because he was confronting the sins of the world. Because ultimately he was, uh, he was, he was, he was confronting man's opposition to God. But even through that confrontation, he was calling us into a relationship with God. So maybe you're here today. You're not, only, you're, not, you're not only opposed to the mission of God's people or God. You're opposed to God himself. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, repent. That means change your mind about your thinking and embrace his. And, ha- and trust in Christ alone for salvation.